The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show covering all the latest and greatest in the world of PlayStation, nothing else whatsoever. And so, of course, we're going to dive immediately into spoilers for the season finale of Loki season one. Uh, of course, to do all of that, I'm joined by Brian Altano. We're not going to spoil Loki season we're one. Not. Don't worry. I haven't watched it yet, so we're not going to spoil it. And Max Scoville. The only Loki we're going to be spoiling is your dog, Jonathan, because he's a very good boy and he deserves some begging strips. <laughs> he does, but he's also not in the room, so I can't pull him out for this poorly timed <laughs> joke on my part. Uh, of course, we are going to be jumping into a lot of uh, PlayStation news. I do want to start off by asking both of you and I guess the audience at large. I just really want to, uh, of course, this week, Lucy O'Brien isn't on the show and she won't be next week as well. She's, she's off on vacation uh, in her her native lands. And so uh, we won't have her on the show for the next couple of weeks, but we'll have her back as soon as we can. I want to think of something that we can do that when she comes back, we have like, we, we pretend like there is this ongoing joke or thread through the show. Um, that Ooh, isn't like that. real. Like it's not a real ongoing thread, but we just pretend like it's a thing that has popped up these last couple of weeks. And we refer back to it, like how Black Widow and Hawkeye would always be like, remember that time in Budapest? But we don't actually show Budapest. Budapest, Budapest excuse me. Yeah, someone has seen Marvel's Black Widow. Anyway, uh, please write into us with your thoughts. This is on a what PlayStation that. show, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, of, I don't know what kind, of, what kind of pranks would we do. I don't know. Like, I don't know. That's the thing. I just want to do it. I don't know what the prank should be. I just mm-hmm. I want to do something. Oh, so oh I, got it, I got it. I got it. I got it. A bird flew into Brian's room and was knocking over toys. Constantly, Ooh. it's still there too, and I haven't, I haven't found it. I like it. We'll do, a, we'll do bird watch with you, a literal bird watch with you when she comes back. Then, or you know what we could do? We could. Let's, okay, how about we do a section called the clap, where we all clap for something <laughs> that Sony did that week. We go. Now it's time for the clap, and we go. Ooh, Good job, Sony. I like you that. Had, yes. you had a great tweet the other day. That's good. And then we all, we all do this. We just go one, two, three, clap. That's it. There we go. That's good. The, play, the okay. PlayStation clap. I love it. Yeah. Clap. And we'll just keep doing it. And Lucy will be like, what's ha- what happened? I love when, it. When yeah. did this start? When I worked That's at a, when I worked at a coffee shop, we told this one girl that um, there was a new policy. Like she she worked the mid shift. I worked opening shift and she showed up. And we're like, hey, there's a new policy. It came down from corporate. We all have to say thanks a latte when someone orders a latte. <laughs> And we had her going. She did it the whole day. Oh, man. That's really good. Um, I was going to play a prank like that on uh, Alana one day in the office way back when. But I uh, thought of the joke in my head and thought it was so funny that I started laughing to myself before I could even say the joke. 
Uh, it was going to be about what we do on President's Day in the United States and how we all dress up like different presidents and have to always speak in quotes by them. Why don't oh, we do that? Celebrate the holiday? <laughs> well, while while we're on the subject of not talking about PlayStation for the next 30 yeah. seconds, we did try to convince Alana at one point in Las Vegas that Americans at the end of a big meal uh, clap. <laughs> and so we all went out to like a big hearty lunch restaurant and then at the end we were like yeah well that's oh that God. started when like you guys were in the plane and it landed and then somebody started clapping right wasn't yeah, that it? yeah yeah <laughs> which is weird which is weird it's, i feel like clapping in movie theaters on an airplane's like i i sort of get it but it's also it's always awkward because it's always sort of starts with like one person and everyone else is like oh some people are like i guess i'll clap but other people are like why are they clapping no one should be clapping well, right now like I've been to movies where people clap at the end and I've been on flights where people clap at the end. But in like the nineties, they used to show uh, movies on flights, but no one would ever clap. At the end, <laughs> which is weird. That's like a two, you know, passing of the ship. Well, that'd be weird. Because there... everyone would be sleeping and everyone would just start clapping in the middle. I'd be like, what happened? It'd be like, I've, I finished. Uh, now you see me part two. <laughs> well, it, of course, it... as we, sorry, go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, is there any PlayStation news? Well, no, I was going to say, of course, <laughs> as we all know, you also always clap at the end of every video game you finish when the director's That's... name shows up. Yeah, uh, and that will be the clap. That will be <laughs> doubly true with uh, the upcoming director's cuts that we have coming out in the world of PlayStation, specifically the Death Stranding director's cut and the Ghost of Tsushima director's cut. Uh, but as we learned earlier this week, uh, even one of those directors, Hideo Kojima, is not a fan of the phrase. Uh, in some tweets that I believe someone had said they have now been deleted, but I'm going to double check and see if that's actually true. Uh, but anyway, in some tweets, uh, Kojima was talking about how a director's cut in a movie is an additional edit to a shortened version that was either released reluctantly because the director did not have the right to edit it or because the running time had to be shortened. Uh, he then followed up and said, uh, in the game, it is not what was cut, but what was additionally produced that was included. Uh, so in my opinion, I don't like to call it a director's cut. Um, this is a little bit of a weird moment for, uh, a like naming convention. And I kind of want to talk to both of you about it because obviously we, we also, I think all three of us, you know, are, are very into, movie releases and, and tracking the production of movies and all these things. And like the, the term director's cut does really mean something very specific to that world. And so bringing it over into the game world, you would think, Oh, it is the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor that they couldn't get into production. But both this and in the Ghost of Tsushima blog post where they revealed all the, the content that was planned, they talked about a lot of this was made in feedback to people had after the game launched. So right. what we're dealing with here are essentially two deluxe editions of a game or you know the the final mix version that's the thing that kingdom hearts uses a lot it, it's a thing that like has existed in games but using the term director's cut has started to draw some ire from people and also some confusion from some of the directors making the games um so i kind of wanted to start off by just generally asking how you feel about the use of the director's cut naming convention and if you feel like it's going to be a problem or it's just something that they they kind of think is some snazzy marketing term and brian i'll start with you on how you feel yeah about it. um well we got into this a little bit last week and it was kind of interesting that the this quote from kojima came out uh, via his twitter just a few days later because last week we, we talked about um sony has is probably using this term because they want to sort of play up the sort of cinematic importance of their games right they want to make these big sort of like blockbuster tentpole movie, you know, very sort of narrative driven games with directors and, you know, with with all, all the feel of like a, a, a big movie release, um, 
but as a video game, right? This, these are these are stories that they're trying to tell. That's been a big part of what they're doing. Um, that said, I think that like the director's cut thing has never always made a ton of sense. But if there's one thing that the Snyder cut accomplished is that uh, that sort of changed the terminology forever. Like there was such a sort of weird back and forth bad blood on how like Zack Snyder was able to go back in and finish his film from acclaimed pervert Joss Whedon, who uh, went uh, basically <laughs> not not uh, acclaimed uh, for the perversion. Just <laughs> no, no, no. For I guess like people liked his stuff before he was a pervert or he was a pervert the whole time. Whatever. Maybe you still like his stuff. That's on you. Not me. Never cared. But uh, so I, I think that like Zack Snyder famously going back in finishing his movie and then HBO being like, we're going to put all of our sort of like promotional strength behind this, use it as a traffic subscription driver. Like there was a sort of redemption arc story there. Um, this is not really what's happening with games that were completed, got nominated for game of the year, uh, you know, sold a bunch of copies critically acclaimed for the most part, reached a bunch of fans and stuff like that. Um, these are not uh, people that were locked out of the studio that weren't allowed, you know, the, the editing room weren't allowed to finish their stuff. This is people going back in and adding more things to it. And like Max said last week, you know, the game of the year uh, moniker is kind of tacky. And I totally agree with that. And so I'm glad they're finding something. But I, I do think that there's like there had I, I think there should be a different terminology here, because if we're two games in and both of them are coming from directors that had full creative control that are now going back in to add more stuff. Um, and one of which is publicly saying, hey, I don't really agree with this phrase, then I think we need we need a new naming convention here. Yeah, it's obviously something that it, based on this comment to me and, and based on it being used across different like both internal first party and first party published games, it's very clearly a thing PlayStation wants to put forward. And I, right. I agree with you, like it helps convey that sense of them of like very cinematic game experiences and that's that's really what they want their mark to be in, in, in games that can uh sort of transcend the idea of just something you're playing but some some artistic medium that that rises above necessarily right i um, saw uh jeff, jeff grobe um from GameSpeed tweeted out that like kojima only put that tweet out to so he could tell his friends you know nicholas winding refin and uh <laughs> del toro that uh he knew what a director's cut was it's <laughs> like super funny to me that's such a good joke good work i Jeff. love that um but yeah it, it's a it's a strange moment for the term because yeah i i agree and and yeah max as you had said like game of the year is is a silly term to use at this point especially because probably any game that wants to use game of the year can find a website that called them game of the year Right. It doesn't necessarily mean a certain thing anymore. Um, well, you so could be nominated for like best music and then that's still technically a game of the year nominee. So, you know, it's sort of like Academy Award winning movie Suicide Squad. <laughs> that's, yeah, 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 that's very true. Uh, but Max, how do, how do you feel about the, the I, usage right now? I think it's ironic that the person who has a problem with the term director's cut is the director. Like mm -hmm. maybe they should have floated that by the actual directors before being like, this is their version of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the thing here is that this is software and it's it's applying a sort of, you know, cinematic uh, naming convention to it, which doesn't always work. It's kind of weird if you look at like what like software by by design has like iterations, like it's very normal for there to be like, oh, it's version 2.0 or it's the upgraded version or whatever. Like that's super normal for games because they are they are software and they are easy to not easy to patch, but they're more easier, easier to patch than like you know, an album or a movie or something like that. Um, conversely, when we talk about what a remaster is, uh, it's I feel like it's almost more akin to like a shot for shot remake. 
because you look at what like a remaster is in terms of music and it's going in and like kind of tweaking the levels and like adjusting the um you know maybe it's it's taking the original tapes and like you know running through again but you know you're they're not they're not recreating the entire album from the ground up whereas we have this whole conversation about like what constitutes a remaster versus a remake versus a reboot in terms of games nowadays um yeah, I don't know. The, the the director's cut seems like they maybe should have workshopped that a little bit more, uh, especially if, you know, the, is this the the second time they've used it? The, it's, the, it's these two games. So, yeah, it'll be Ghost yeah. and, and Death Stranding that are, are getting that moniker. And they're probably ramping up to use it for The Last of Us. Too, oh, totally. So. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 odd. It's also I mean, it's if if it's a version that has additional stuff that was made for the sake of that that is that is more like the kind of snyder cut george lucas special edition approach where you're like i'm gonna go in and, and add a bunch of things and shuffle things around and change stuff up but it's i don't know it's just it's sort of funny to think about um because i yeah it's i, I don't know it's it's a it's a weird name it's it's very funny to me that kojima was like i don't like this name me the director like this is yeah. not like well because that that game was i mean like there's i you know i, I i'm uh I'm I'm stunned at the way that game came together because that was a, a guy that basically very publicly left a company he worked with for a long time over creative differences. Um, sort of famously was in incapable or unable to finish his last game. Uh, I saw some trailers getting kicked around for MGS Five the other day, and there's just all this stuff in it that were just not in the final game, which is interesting. You know that that game sort of didn't really have an ending. Um, but then he went on with this awesome redemption story, and Sony funded um, you know the development, and uh, he created this brand new studio. He had all those people in the hallway with the statue. Like he had total creative control, and that's really cool. And I think on the movie side, a, a thing you see a lot is extended edition right or like the extended cut and that's usually when they add extra scenes i'm actually surprised that they haven't used that phrasing for um video games because like gamers love knowing that they're getting more of a game they love to know how long uh, of a game they're getting for the you know perceived value uh, how many hours are being tacked on the ghost of tsushima stuff that's adding an entire new island uh, is rumored to add somewhere between like 15 and 20 hours of new content and it's odd that that isn't just being called like dlc or an expansion or anything like that um but it's all just being rolled into this director's cut thing. so where in the case of in the case of ghost of Shima, i feel like that actually that naming works on two levels because they had the mm -hmm. whole kurosawa mode and then it's also a game about cutting stuff so it's almost it's almost like a <laughs> wink and a nod to play on words but yeah i don't know i can't wait for the fruit ninja director's cut then <laughs> um yeah i i will say so a thing i I am the there. There are those rumors going around from a uh, alleged ghost tester. Um, I would say from things I've heard, don't put too much stock into all of that. Um, but nonetheless, I do think we're going to get a pretty sizable chunk of, of new content here. Um, oh, was that a rumor? The 15 hours of extra content? The, there's there's been uh, a, a Reddit leaker who was a tester on the game who uh has all this uh, info about it but it i i wouldn't put too much stock in it at the moment um well my uncle works at nintendo uh, and he said fair that he, you shouldn't play this game because it doesn't have waluigi in it <laughs> you know it's, um, it's also it's i want to say it's, it's weird that sony's applying this term across the board like it's kind of it, we all know what it is in terms of movies but at the same time movies frequently use varied terms for that like we have obviously the you know the snyder cut or the you know mad max black and chrome edition or whatever even looking at like like the Alien box set is like Alien Director's Cut, Aliens Director's Cut, Alien 3 Work Print slash Assembly Cut, Alien mm -hmm. Resurrection with additional footage. Like it's not even like across the board. Um, like Blade Runner infamously put out a Director's Cut in the 90s 
it was based on what like Ridley Scott's notes were, but they didn't right. really actually go in and mess with too much. And so when Ridley Scott actually got his hands on it, he made the final cut, which I think a lot of people are like, oh, director's cut. That seems definitive. And then, you know, they go on and watch the final cut. It's I don't know. It's it's such a it's it's I guess I guess what's reassuring is that it's a it's a messy topic regardless of the medium. Right. Yeah. I, I was I, actually I mean, going to bring up the Blade Runner thing. You're right, because there's still to this day when people go, oh, Blade Runner, I've never seen it, which, you know, please <laughs> fix that. Uh, people are always like, which versions should I watch? And there, there was a debate for a while about which version you should watch. Like, and I think I, the video games don't really have that. Right. Because like if you have the choice between the director's cut of Death Stranding and, and you know, the launch edition or whatever, like you're going to tell people to get the one that has more content, because I don't think it's necessarily messing with the pacing whereas mm -hmm. like i've heard people debate um which version of majora's mask or shadow of the classes should i play because these make sort of aesthetic changes in their remastered form um that uh is, is sort of much of the chagrin of some you know diehards and purists yeah the, the these two in particular as as you were saying with death stranding and, and ghost as well where it's like hey we all know how fun and engaging it is to just explore that world and go around it and here's going to be a version that lets you do that in a brand new environment as well like in addition it, it's kind of like there's no reason you would say no only stick with the base game at that point why do why, like unless the new island is awful which i'm not expecting based on everything they put out like you would always tell people to go for the next one and also max to your point of like the term already being kind of a mess as, as you were both saying with the Snyder cut, it's like, well, yeah, he went like, he had a lot of footage. Sure. But then also went and shot, you know, tens of millions of dollars more to right. add to it as well. So it's yeah, like the director's cut, the, the blank person's cut uh, is kind of always in a strange place. It, it, it's just in a weird position right now with, I think PlayStation wanting this to clearly be a thing. And one of the first directors that they have on board being like, I don't get the naming here. It's, it's just a weird <laughs> moment for it. Um, but as, as you said, I imagine we'll continue to see this unless these versions do terribly in sales, which I'm not expecting to, we'll probably get more director's cuts. As you were saying, <clears throat> excuse me, the last of us part two feels like the next obvious candidate. Um, I don't know where else they would go from there, like in the immediate back catalog. Cause I, I feel like all focus is on the next God of war and horizon forbidden West. So I don't feel like they're going to put new content into those games at this point. But, right. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, well, never say never, right? I wasn't expecting this much new stuff being added to Ghost of Tsushima. I figured they yeah. would do sort of like a a standalone, you know, and sort of what Naughty Dog does, which is make like an eight hour kind of spinoff game um, or DLC or just save it all for a sequel. Yeah, I mean, they they had something similar with that with uh, First Light for Infamous right. um, at the beginning of the PS4 generation. So it's cool to see them continuing to support things as long as it means more PlayStation releases like that's great with me. A chance to revisit these Same. games I love. So I'll certainly. This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? 
One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing, I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Take it. Um, though in terms of how those affect the the rest of the lineup, I'm going to switch just a little bit in the run of show. Uh, we know Ghost of Tsushima and the Death Stranding Director's Cut are coming later this year, uh, August and September. A, a PS5 exclusive, console exclusive we were expecting this year, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, has been delayed in to early 2022 uh, in order to protect the health of those working on the game. Uh, a statement from the uh, Tango and uh, Ghostwire Twitter account said, we've made the decision to delay the launch of Ghostwire Tokyo to early 2022. We want to get the game in your hands as soon as possible so you can experience the unforgettable version of a haunted Tokyo that we've been hard at work building. At the same time, we're also focused on protecting the health of everyone at Tango. Our new release window will give us time to bring the world of Ghostwire to life as we've always envisioned it. Thank you for being patient as we work to bring you an experience unlike anything else we've ever made. We can't wait to show you more in the coming months. Um, mm. This, I, I want to ask both of you, but at least for me, this doesn't totally surprise me because we've seen so little of this game. Like since right. the, the launch trailers last year, the reveal trailers, excuse me, we've really gotten nothing about this game so it doesn't shock me that they needed more of the time that said i'm also glad that this comment in a continuing trend that we've seen does address the well-being of the developers obviously this is a an official corporate statement like it, it, you can only take so much of face value but the fact that these statements have like there's been a recent trend of them continuing to mention the health of the developers we saw this with god of wars delays too at least i appreciate that that's in there because it does hold them a little bit more accountable because then if we get stories of oh but actually we're working them to the bone even worse because of the delay like 
that begins to create a very troubling narrative for these studios. So I, I like that it puts a little bit of accountability there. But in terms of its delay, uh, Brian, I'll start with you. Does, does this come as much of a shock to you? Um, no, not exactly. I do wonder sort of what the exclusivity window on this remains. Um, I remember reading the fine print in the state of play the other day about Deathloop basically said, you know, coming to Xbox a year later. So I, I don't know if this also delays whatever sort of window that happens there. But um, yeah, I'm fine for the studio taking its time. I never really feel like I'm, you know, uh, short on new games to play. Uh, to what you were mentioning earlier about sort of the crunch culture um, evolving and changing, uh, I, I think that's one of the best things that can happen. I know every time we bring this up, people are like, well, my job's hard too. And like, you know, with that we should fix that as well. But if you, if you flash back to sort of rise son of Rome, right. One of the uh, launch titles for the last Xbox, the studio at the time sort of famously tweeted out, Hey, we've ordered like 600 pizzas to keep everybody full while they're home working late. And a bunch of people at the time, they thought like that was a cute thing to say. And a bunch of people were like, that's not good. You shouldn't be doing that. I was reading, uh, a piece about retro the other day um and everyone loves them right like when you think about metroid prime and donkey kong and stuff like that people are like wow what a great studio they're under nintendo you don't really hear about crunch from them a lot um development diaries through them showed that they were crunching like crazy through metroid prime and it's one of the most beloved games like this was such a part of uh, a video game development culture for so long and to see that slowly change um by it uh sort of through the pandemic and through uh, other public means you know people like uh, jason trier writing books about it and stuff like that i think all of that is bringing awareness to a problem that is happening in video games it's also happening elsewhere it happens in movies but uh with you know sort of th the way unions work uh the, the way you know people are under contract they have to work per hour they have to get specific breaks and times and stuff like that um the culture seems a little bit different there although a lot of people sort of have been head down in the editing room working on things for years and you don't really hear about it, but hopefully this is something that changes. None of these things sort of have to come out, you know, this day and, and this second that we, we need to demand that people don't see their families and friends and their, you know, children and they're, they're lacking their, you know, ignoring their personal health and hygiene just to, you know, animate doors in a fake Tokyo. So take your time, do your thing. We'll be here when you're ready. Yeah, yeah the, other, the other thing is like we you know we talk a lot about sort of like cr crunch culture being a, a like an old problem it's just now being addressed which it, it is in a certain degree but i imagine it's in a, to a certain sense it's, it's actually been getting worse gradually in the same way that like you know we video games have stayed the price of 60 bucks but they've like what quadrupled in resolution and that's just right that's just visually like there's there's so many new components and so many moving parts and they're you know these infinitely complex like massive massive uh, pieces of software and it, it, it's i imagine that there's this there's old habits that some studios have of being like we should be able to turn a game around in three years which was probably true 10 years ago but now if you're moving with you're you know dealing with that many more moving parts and you're developing for instead of i don't know putting a game on disc for for two systems putting it on what five different variations of two systems digitally and on disc and then maybe having to patch stuff and then deal with whatever online components. I mean, you read about like, you know, Atari development and they would have like, like one or two dudes would make one game in four months. Right. And it would come out for one system. And like, obviously that, you know, the, the game would look like um, it would be like four blocks bumping into each other, but like, you know, things, <laughs> things scale. Like now you look at something like, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey or, or, um, 
uh, Valhalla. The Valhalla, that one. Um, I, I mean, really any of them, they're just, they're, they're huge. They're, they're staggeringly large. And that's from like a massive global, you know, quadruple A studio that that's, has been doing this on such a consistent level. I mean, maybe the reason we're seeing Assassin's Creed games uh, go from being a yearly release to a, you know, every two years release is because to adjust for this, you know, like, we you know, we've seen games that get, that get horribly rushed. And um, I guess this is sort of the, the flip side of, of, of crunch culture and delays is that like, it, it's, it's a, what a video game is, is sort of a moving target. And, mm-hmm. you know, you look at what games were, 10 years ago and it's it's a different like it's a different ecosystem like it's they're trying to do different stuff and they expectations are a totally different thing and um that's that's without the giant monkey wrench that is working remotely during a pandemic yeah well and and even just to use the example that you were going with there with assassin's creed their uh production pipeline is changing even more because of that uh recently confirmed infinity project that i believe trier had broken the news about and then uh ubisoft had acknowledged of essentially a like a platform-based future for assassin's creed going forward and even something that to me i think of as a long-standing single-player robust like action adventure campaign with open world obviously but as one of those things is suddenly becoming more more and more of a live service and the the past few games have been leaning that way but the the pure nature of like live service games also just completely throws that all for a wrench there was um i don't know if you guys saw but uh apex legends was hacked over the july 4th weekend and uh with this uh campaign to fix titanfall it, it was this whole big thing but one of the devs tweeted about like hey because that hack was happening I was playing with like my newborn nephew and had to hand him back to his parents so I could go work on fixing this patch over a holiday weekend. Like Mm -hmm. that has completely changed. Like all of that just so completely changes the way game development happens beyond the the mystery that it already was for so many of us. Um, Right. And the other side of that conversation was sort of consumers being like, I paid money to access content here and I had my first sort of few days off in a while and i wanted to and so there was an expectation on both sides and i don't i don't think that like the the toxicity doesn't solve anything obviously anyone sending death threats and everybody can (laughs) in a space um but the sorry but the uh, i i think that like that there is definitely like the consumer is also saying like hey i you know i paid to access some of this stuff how do i access it and it, it just sucks for everybody all around but like max said these are these are massively scaled new projects that are only growing bigger and bigger. They are dealing with so many more things. Uh, like the four guys making the four block bumping game on Atari didn't have to like figure out how does this play through, you know, the Amazon Luna cloud service <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. Like, you know, how does, how, what about people trying to remote play this um, from their downstairs living rooms? There's, there's a lot more things, you know, that, that take into account now. Um, and with all of that sort of convenience uh, of, of, uh, of us being consumers to be able to access our games in different ways, play them on different platforms, you know, uh, you play them through the cloud or remotely or whatever it is, um, become, becomes more work and more testing and, 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 and more things involved. And so I don't really know what the solution is there, right? Because there's, there's always going to be something. Uh, we were just covering a story today about uh activision asked like this this hacker was basically just like i have the most nefarious call of duty Warzone hack ever made and it's undetectable and unstoppable and he put up videos and they were like please please don't do that like please don't do that and he was like all right i won't but like that's that's again a sort of they've banned half a million hackers in that game already so it's like you know while one evil was killed another will rise (laughs) like it's always it's always going to come from somewhere so 
yeah i yeah. don't know what the solution is games are are big and crazy now and um there's gonna have to be a little bit of patience across the board from everybody involved it is a miracle that any game ever gets made whatsoever and works <laughs> because of all the incredible moving parts in it. And so, yeah, please, uh, you know, with here with Ghostwire, with any of the games that get delayed, please uh, let the developers be, let them work at the pace they need to, to live healthy, normal lives as well. There are, I, I would go out on a limb and say, you probably have plenty of games that have come out that someone has told you is amazing that you probably haven't played. I myself have about 700 of those, so I can assume everyone out there has at least a couple. Uh, moving on from there, just briefly want to mention a couple other pieces of news. Uh, we're going to be getting a bunch of Persona announcements for the anniversary of the franchise. I personally can't wait. Uh, I will, of course, wait until those announcements actually happen, and I hopefully will get Andrew Goldfarb to yell either on a voicemail or something to be able to be on the show about them, whatever they may be. Um, a Gran Turismo 7 beta has allegedly leaked. Uh, there is a uh, experience PlayStation website that Sony has that uh, basically people were able to sign up for a beta uh, by putting in a placeholder download code. Of course, this beta is not officially announced, but uh, it's always good to see some signs of life for Gran Turismo 7 as we wait for more news on that one. Uh, but that was, of course, delayed into next year. So we'll we'll wait to see if there's another sort of state of play that an announcement for a beta like this might come through. Mm -hmm. uh, we also got news that uh, Final Fantasy XIV, which of course is playable on PS4 and PS5, is so popular that Square had to stop selling it digitally for a little bit, which I really enjoyed as just an amusing <laughs> side because I just don't think that ever really happens with digital sales. Can, uh, can you please explain that to me? So, did, were, were they worried about server stress? So I think it was partially server stress because at least like, so the way it works is you can obviously choose which server you're on and which server you're choosing to play Final Fantasy on, and uh, that will allow you to be with certain players so like i was playing with a few people from my streaming community and so we waited a little bit to all get on the same server uh and it took like uh my, my girlfriend was playing a lot as well to get on the same server she waited i think like two or three hours and this was months ago this was when it first came to ps5 but she was waiting and just refreshing every like 10 minutes for like two to three hours to get on that server because space is just limited to a certain extent and so I think to avoid server stress, to avoid too much happening, because they have just seen such an influx of players over the last few months, I think they just needed to pause sales for a little bit to be able to, you know, catch right. up with everything. It's um, a good problem to have, right? Yeah, I mean, def definitely better than the reverse. Um, yeah, I mean, like we've read the opposite story where like online games have to populate their servers with bots just to get enough people to make matchmaking possible for like a, a simple, you know, player count um so this is the, the, i mean it's also square enix is like sort of famously overshot when it comes to sales expectations with games you know like they're always like we have to hit we hit six million instead of seven million and we underperformed and you're like what that's a lot of millions though um so this is cool like i hopefully they can they can figure out how to get more people there like it's kind of awesome yeah it um apparently it was over the weekend i believe that the wait list essentially had uh you know been stalled and you couldn't get through it uh when we had checked it this this week uh matt kim on our news team had checked it it seemed to have resumed normal function so it seems people are able to get in but uh it it has very popular specific servers as well so depending on where people were trying to get into that could have likely mm -hmm. affected it as well uh and then last on the on the news doc i just wanted to mention of course uh man eater is getting dlc yeah i don't think i put this on here but i also am very excited i put that on there because okay, i know you. you 
you yeah. and I both we both platinum that game recently. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that man, that game is awesome. Uh, I, I've talked about this before. Max, Max, and I did a let's play for it that's super fun that you can dig up. Um, it's a just open world shark game narrated by Chris Parnell of SNL fame. It's very goofy. It's very over the top, but it also has this like kind of weird un- undercurrent, no uh, pun intended, um, sort of thematic plotline about sort of anti eco terrorism. Uh, this is like a deeply disturbed and disgusting ocean full of wretched humans dumping toxins in and still swimming around and this shark uh for a number of reasons gets revenge on all of them and you basically go around i love that there's a spongebob easter egg (laughs) goes around hunting down all these um like you know poachers trappers and just nefarious awful people who are out at sea trying to kill you and trying to disturb the environment and it's just so much fun and so they're adding uh basically this entire new area they're upping the level cap they're adding new sort of armor sets and what's cool about this is like you get you get different armor sets that are kind of like a fin and teeth you can get like electric set or bone set or whatever you want the shadow set and they're all super super fun to play with um i just like basically 100% of this game recently uh it's it's on game pass if if you're looking for something to play there i believe it was on playstation plus at some point it was yeah it was right end of last year yeah um and it also got recently got a next gen uh patches and stuff like that so it looks and plays very well it's beautiful um super super fun game very idiotic it's not the deepest thing in the world again no pun intended but uh, (laughs) i won't say the gameplay is shallow but no no, please play, please play Maneater, <laughs> and if not, uh, just wait for the DLC because it's it's gonna be really fun. I really I really appreciate that this is a game where you play as a shark, not mm-hmm. like a guy who's a shark theme or so. Like I feel like so much of the time right. they're like, it's a game where you play as an animal who has humanoid characteristics. I mean, this obviously the shark can jump and kick and stuff, but like the fact that they pretty much designed an entire control scheme for like a shark body is such a it's such a novelty to me because mm-hmm. you know the the sort of I don't know how many games do you play as as a as a person with arms and legs who runs around and jumps and stuff. It's like pretty, you know. It's it's kind of kind of played out. I do that every day. I'd like to be a shark for a change. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's a lot of fun, as Brian was saying. I also like it uh, for like its length. It is a you know twenty hour RPG, which is wonderful. And so you're you're constantly getting that hit of aggression or uh, progression. Not well, also aggression because you're a shark. Uh, but the the progression of it is just kind of constant. Uh, you're getting to either do, do silly stuff like flopping on a beach and attacking humans or, or explore underwater. There's a lot of collectibles and stuff. And yeah, the DLC Truth Quest will launch on August 31st. And this plays into the whole fact that like the game that you're playing is also a reality TV show called Maneater. That is sort of the the overarching thing related to Chris Parnell's uh, lines and everything. And so I think mm-hmm. the world has been shown this, the true nature of this this port and everything going on and so the uh the conspiracy theories only get crazier from there uh, it's, it's got that wonderful gta thing where you sort of like ra- rack up the kills and all of a sudden you know more and more crazy things start coming in and i believe the dlc is bringing in like helicopters and stuff like that um the base game uh had these sort of like the end game had like these sonar boats that could uh, uh, like send electrical waves waves out underwater it's just so much fun this game is also um responsible well, i'm responsible for because i'm stupid but one of the dumbest things <laughs> i've ever asked in a tr- uh like sort of trade show interview was max and i were interviewing the developers and i was like there's all these buildings everywhere can can the shark go in them and they were like 
no he's a shark <laughs> see i think that should be dlc like because he can go up on the beach and flop right a little bit what if he evolves lungs and he just goes up and he can't he can't like walk or run he just has to flop like that like just flop up like 50 yeah. feet to stare that'd be great flopping the shark along the the sand office shark is mm-hmm. so fun oh my god office it's shark. so funny I mean, yeah they need something for Maneater, too. Why they give but... him Elton John glasses? What's going on here? This looks great. Oh, there's the dance sequence. You don't know. Oh, good. Yeah. There isn't, but you could believe there would be in this game. Um, yeah, it's a really a lot of fun. I can't recommend it enough. It is definitely, as as Brian said, a little bit shallow, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really fun time and a relatively easy platinum for those who care. You called um, it like a good podcast game, which I, I totally agree with. Yeah, it's a lot, like I think listen into it and have fun while Chris Parnell is telling you silly parts about the story. But if you're just going mm-hmm. around trying to collect, you know, the 30 underground signposts, it is Shark Week. <laughs> it is Shark Week. So maybe, True. you know, observe Shark Week in a, a good way, you know. And be a Yeah. And you can play the truth seeking adventure in <laughs> August, I guess. Uh, there also will be like a little bit of a demo, I think, for the DLC. So, you know, cool. go check that out. But uh, in addition to that, whether you're playing Maneater or something else, I do want to talk a little bit about what we've been playing, especially because I know uh, you guys have been jumping into a, a bit of a storied franchise that we've talked about on the show before. But Brian, I'll start with you. What have you been playing? Yeah, so uh, they had a sort of deep sale after uh, E3 uh, or whatever E3 was this year where, you know, we got more information about uh, Far Cry 6. Um, And I did an interview with the sort of like lead writer and the sort of uh, lead sort of creative gameplay uh, designer. And it before when we were getting warmed up because we're working from home, everything is like a million technical moving parts. We just started sort of reminiscing about the Far Far Cry franchise. And I just had one of those things click in my head where I was like, this is such an incredibly important franchise to me. It's always been so near and dear to my heart, but it doesn't really, it's not really something I associate with like, you know, you go like, oh, I really love like the Legend of Zelda or I love the Last of Us games. You know, there's this like, you know, large narrative that, you know, connects so many of these things and they've been special to me because the, the Far Cry games are very similar, but all, also largely disparate in terms of their settings and tones in a lot of ways. Um, but I noticed that like they put a bunch of the games up super cheap. So I went back and I I bought Far Cry 1, 2, 3, 4, and Blood Dragon. And I think I got all five of those games for like 18, 20 bucks total. So they're super cheap. Sorry if you missed the sale. Um, they regularly go on sale though. And I, I just went back and started like tracing the roots of this series, which is something I've been trying to do a little more of with things I love is sort of figure out like, where did this start? How did it evolve? And I think there was a lot of sort of notion that uh, this is a sort of sale and repetitive franchise. And I, I would say in a lot of ways it is, but n- not really more so than the average video game series that gets annualized. Um, and I think a lot of those get a free pass. And I, I just, I feel like this is like a sort of like, it's weird to say this about a, a franchise that you know, routinely sells very fairly well. It's fairly critically acclaimed, but I feel like Far Cry has kind of slept on. Like, I feel like people don't really celebrate this series in the way they do a lot of other big ones. Um, and watching it grow and evolve over the years, going from the first Far Cry, which is very sort of straightforward. You don't have a ton of wiggle room in terms of your creativity, uh, but also like famously for the time, it was mostly outdoors. Right. Which is uh, in an era of like sort of corridor driven first person shooters that were dark and strange. And Far Cry 1 has a lot of that, too, uh, including weird mutants that you have to fight, which I totally forgot about going into like a large tropical setting and giving people, uh, you know, hang gliders and all these different weapons and zip lines and stuff like that was really clever and really cool. And then moving on to Far Cry 2, which I think like suffers a lot from being the kind of the sepia toned 
murky brown looking games of the era that you know your early gears of war your resident evil fives um that's when it started to move open world but three is when it really sort of just like kicked off right like three it hit its drive almost sort of perfected the formula that we see today um but it got me in a chance to jump back in a four, which is a game I believe I 100%ed when it first came out. You know, Troy Baker plays Pagan Men. It takes place in Karat. Uh, it's got it's sort of these gigantic mountains, but also rivers. It's got, you know, lion, tigers and elephants that you can ride, um, bulls. There's all sorts of like bizarre, crazy animals in it. And it does uh, some of the, like my favorite stuff an open world game can do. I think it totally does that. Like the thing that Far Cry has always struggled with is how do we tell a serious story, but also get a bunch of goofy nonsense in here? And I think five dropped the ball in a lot of ways. Uh, the setting was kind of boring and stuff like that. But it all just got me so damn excited for Far Cry six, uh, which is coming out later this year. And I feel like this is like going to really bring the series back to where I want it to be. Um, and I can't wait for it personally. Like, so, yeah, Far Cry rules. Well said, Brian. Yeah, I've, I'm. I jumped into one and two. Um, I I played two, I don't know, a million years ago. Um, it was one of it was like one of the you know I had like kind of a lapse period in gaming through college, and then I that was one of the games that I kind of picked up and got me back into it. And it was just you know I was blown away about how cool it looked and how like the like the what is it the procedurally generated fire that will just occasionally work how you want it to, and other times it won't mm-hmm. at all. Um, but yeah, Far Cry Three is one of my favorite games ever, and it's it, you know you know you said it well like it. That game is or that series, I think it's written off a lot as, you know, just being another annualized Ubisoft thing. But like the problem with three is how much it completely like threw that formula in the air and how many systems it introduced that have since been kind of like done to death by other Ubisoft games. But the whole idea of like, oh, go to this area, climb the watchtower, unlock the thing around here, sneak into the outpost. You can go loud or you can go quiet. And then, you know, I mean, it. I feel like it's just, it's a very rock solid foundation to the point that since then it's almost been like it was very sporadically uh, like it evolved very like kind of all over the place like the first game to the second game to the third game they were still kind of like figuring out what worked and what didn't and then the jump from the third to the fourth is like you added bees and elephants <laughs> you know there's like not a ton of new stuff in there um, I personally I never I didn't I never loved the setting for four like it's a really fun game but for whatever reason it just didn't gel with me. Um, but I'm I'm extremely excited for six too. I think it's I, I have this weird thing. I don't know what I don't know what makes me like this. I like games on islands. There's something yeah. I like about that. Like it it it. I think there's that there's that inher- inherent frustration of being like, what do you mean I can't go any further? But with an island, I'm like that makes sense. Islands are like that sometimes. I'll forgive you know it. The yeah. Limit. yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, well, I, mean, I love I'm, Link's Awakening. Honestly, yeah, like, you're yeah, like exactly. this is, you know. There's a finite set of tiles you can walk on here. There's yeah. something just wonderfully self-contained about that. And also, I don't know, it compels you to go inward as opposed to outward, which is, um, I don't know, it's a whole thing. But um, I am, um, as someone who I think dips in and out of the franchise and, and hasn't played it nearly to the extent that both of you have, at least from like somewhat of an outside perspective, I feel like part of why it maybe feels like it flies under the radar, sort of like uh, Brian, to your point, is that after three because three was like such the acclaimed hit it felt like at least in the marketing every game after was trying to tell you how it was like three um, right for better and worse and so it was like here's the villain who is like Voss but isn't Voss. here is the you know the the lush outdoor setting that will be part of it um here is the political but not political story that's at the heart of it i i feel like it got buried under a lot of the like how does it compare to three conversations often which is mm-hmm. often what kept me away from like 
oh, I heard four wasn't as good as three and it has a lot in common. So I, I just skipped four. I'm sure there are great parts of it. Like you were saying, you, you've enjoyed your, your visit back to it. But it was just something like, oh, I heard it's like three. Okay, I'll move on. Oh, five kind of muddies the water with it, its story. Okay, I'll move on. Right. I think they also they uh, may, maybe maybe people like this for this reason, but I feel like this is not the the primary selling point. Like this is obviously the sexiest part of it to be like we've got this incredibly well written villain and it's all very you know edgy and and it's like kind of you know it's mature storytelling and like you can see they're continuing this. They got you know Giancarlo Esposito playing the villain in the new one, which is which is great, but that's not why I play Far Cry. You know, yeah. like I I play Far Cry because I want to like trick a, a wild boar into biting someone which is funny to me and then i will ride away on a stolen jeep which is on fire like that that level of like kind of uh emergent gameplay craziness is like really that's what it does so well but it's also that's i think a lot harder to a lot harder to market um yeah. without just seeming like you're just throwing a bunch of shit and sees what's seeing what sticks I think um, what what ford does in terms of what you're talking about is really interesting and uh in that Troy Baker's pagan men is sort of consistently more annoyed with your actions and he will radio radio into you and to be like, you just blew up my base. You son of a bitch. And I'm going to, I'm going to come kill you and stuff like that. I think that's a good way to do it. It's sort of just like, um, marry your actions with this kind of subtext of like, all right, I just went on this massive crazy killing spree. I threw bait into the middle of this base camp and uh, a tiger attacked everybody. And then I got in this crappy little uh, duct tape helicopter and flew away and it went <laughs> like, and I'm throwing bombs on people and stuff like that, blowing up his convoys. And then he calls in to be like, why did you do that to me? I hate you. I'm going to kill you. That, I think that's an interesting way to do it. But I feel like the, um, the Joseph Sneed stuff they did in the in the next one. Um, I, I feel like just five was such a weird step back. It also it's a franchise with all these bizarre diagonals. Like uh, Blood Dragon works really well because it's it's totally assertive in in how completely insane it is, and it's also three to five hours long. Whereas Far Cry Primal felt like um, an interesting experiment and a nice deviation from the norm. And I was sort of uh, I'm I'm kind of impressed at the way they were able to find parallels um, to make like sort of you know uh, Fred Flintstone versions of all of the contemporary <laughs> Far Cry tropes. Um, but then there's also all these weird DLCs they do from like the Valley of the Yeti to like the weird Vietnam War stuff, and a lot of it just is all over the place. It doesn't mesh. But then underneath all that, there's like this custom you know create a game mode where some fans like recently built the entirety of Goldeneye. Like, it's just, it's so crazy. And I just feel like there's so much here that's cool, but it's so all over the place, but also samey that it doesn't really, it doesn't really have its place in like the, you know, the video game hall of fame. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't have like memorable, I mean, it has memorable characters. It doesn't have a memorable like universe because it's right. each game is as the namesake, like it is a far cry from the last one. Like it's always, a, right. it's always a crazy different new place that has a lot of, you know, it's a it's a wacky setting. It's a you know, it's a virtual tourism in a sense where you can do whatever you want. Um, but, you know, it's that double edged sort of like I personally uh, I don't know. I always hate the Abstergo, um, you know, Illuminati stuff in in Assassin's Creed, like as if you jump into one of them and you haven't been keeping track of what's going on. You're like, what did I miss? Who are these who are these normal, regular humans in like polar fleece vests who I have to play as for a while? And I'm like, I, I just assume be like give me a game where you're a viking or an egyptian guy or a ninja or whatever like whatever like let me you know i'm I'm down with like the like i know what an assassin's creed game is i'm happy to jump into it and i appreciate that far cry is all kind of it's doing its own thing like right. every game is it's is encapsulated and obviously there's like returning you know side characters and familiar themes and things you have to climb to unlock areas of the map but like it's 
I think because it isn't, you know, it doesn't have this like serialized through line that there's not, maybe there's not like a pressure for people to stay up to date with what's happening in that, in that universe. Um, I don't know. It's maybe that's sort of the appeal to me is that it's, there's a sense of discovery there because every, yeah. every game is a new, is a new thing to a certain degree. Even if some of the mechanics are familiar, it's more like, what is this place? What's going on here? Yeah. yeah I think it, they, they live and thrive on their settings, right? Yeah. It, and you do get that shit. Like, as I, I was saying, I, I jump in and out and like when I jump in, I love it. Like I, I have a blast. Um, I uh, even going to your point, Brian, like I, I weirdly admired the bit of primal that I played for its attempts at like, putting modern ideas and conceits into the idea of riding a woolly mammoth and beating someone over the head with a bone club. Like <laughs> it, it tried its best, but yeah, there, there are times where I think the scattershot nature of it also does make it feel like a franchise that if I miss it for a couple of years, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do play it, I, I, I love it and play for, you know, 30, 40 hours and, and have a blast with it. I, I'm excited for six. Like as of right now, I, I think the setting can lend itself to to a lot of great possibilities. It seems like, as you, as we're all saying, like it being on an island, I'll yeah. have like a general sense of the space of it, which I really appreciate. Giancarlo being in the game is definitely not a, a bad side to it. Uh, Chorizo the dog looks adorable. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's one of those things where the DLC that's going to bring back all the villains, like I, I don't really care about. Like that's right. the season past. Yeah, that's, that's like familiar acid trip stuff, which is like, again, it's sort of, okay, that's not what I just signed up for. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, but like I, I get it to a certain extent because the, the villains are the things people know about this franchise, and that also allows them to plan ahead for what the season pass is. Like people may love parts of Far Cry Six, and maybe they'll pivot and do some DLC around it, but they can't account for that. They do know people yeah. love Voss and and Pig and Men and and Joseph Seed at least like as as like touch points for those games. People know what they relate to, and so it's it, easy to Blood, Blood Dragon is like a singular thing, and I was totally expecting that to become annualized or repeated in, in the way that so many you know ubisoft things are but to have like a short standalone far cry game built in the same engine we've gotten you know we've got like the valley of the yetis we've gotten the the weird sort of far cry 5 spin-off stuff and now the thing with new the dawn, villains yeah. but but it's never oh yeah new dawn was kind of that that but that was i mean that was trying out a whole like it was like, like a, almost a literal repaint of it far was cry yeah 5, it was right? it was a weird call and like the thing that made I don't know. The th- I love Blood Dragon so much because it didn't take itself seriously and it didn't overstay its welcome. Like it was such a bizarre little, you know, experiment. And I was almost like, what does this look like if you try it? What are the different flavored versions of this? Like, what if you do, you know, you do like a, a, I don't know, a medieval version? Like, because that one did the sort of neo, neo futuristic vaporwave. That sounds amazing, right? Yeah, like that would be that'd be wacky. Like, and I mean, we got we got Cave Man. Yeah, right? Primal was a five hour thing, kind of like Blood Dragon. Yeah, right, would be more right. fondly remembered. And it's it's it bittersweet yeah. because like I liked I liked Primal to a certain degree. I thought it was it did some really interesting stuff, but it also I I don't think I finished it because I just I didn't I didn't care. There's just like cavemen yelling at me and, and with subtitled caveman language, and I was like, okay, that's cool. I got a bow and arrow. This is fine. And mm-hmm. it was. You know, I, I guess at that point, there was definitely sort of like franchise fatigue because like three was amazing, blew me away. The Blood Dragon, more of the same, but completely kind of reimagined and, and shaken up enough that it was that it was interesting. And also it was short. It's like five hours long. And then right. four came along and it was so much of the same with like little tweaks. It was like, you know, very familiar. And then by the time Primal rolled out, I was like, I'm I'm good. You know, yeah. Um, one thing I about about five is like. I feel like it didn't really gel with any of us. And it's like, it's definitely well-made. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we live in America and like the marketing was very much hinging on sort of like eh, some American politics that maybe don't really, 
don't really gel with everybody. But it's also like if you live in, I don't know, if you live in France, like that's probably like a crazy exotic location to go to. But if I mean, if you I mean, if you live in you live in Nepal, like playing Far Cry 4 is probably like the same thing where you're like, okay, like, I guess like I'll Mm -hmm. go climb a fake mountain that it looks like ones we have here. Um, Yeah, like, yeah. Also, the timing of of five, just in relation to where our country then went in the preceding years. Yeah, that was if if you need an escape from uh, politics. Far Cry Five was not the best place to go. <laughs> right, and yeah. I've said this. I've said this before, but like the, there was a lot of conversation around Five, that sort of being like this skewering of Trump Republicans. But Far Cry Five is one of the most sort of like overtly, you know, uh, gun like gun proud games I've ever played. Like you run around with a with an assault rifle that has an American flag on it, and it's a blast. You know, like it's it's like no pun intended. Like it's it's. I think that that game sort of celebrates a lot of. A, a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of like sort of more liberal people were expecting it to skewer. My issue with five is that when I go to these games, um, I want all of the sort of systems to be completely insane and not necessarily in familiarity. But when we were doing press interviews for five, uh, and I brought this up with the with the people I interviewed the other day, I was like, you, you, I, I asked. I asked you guys a couple of years ago, like this game takes place in Montana. Famously, that's where there's tons of dinosaur bones. Like, will there be dinosaurs in this game? And they were like, we actually got that very stupid question a lot. Because I think a lot of people were just like, so you have what, cows and like turkeys? Like, that's this is boring. Like, what I love about 4 is that there are so many different animals in that game. It's insane. There's honey badgers and goats and there's monkeys and there's I hope tigers. We get, and, I hope we get a Florida one. I feel like yeah. Florida is just going to be like, floor, floor cry is just going to be like. Oh my God. Just, yeah. I mean, yeah. Got all the animals. And, Gotcha. You need fan boats, I think. Do we have fan boats mm-hmm. for that game? I can't even remember. There should be. Yeah, I feel like fan boats yeah. are in three. And then, you, yeah, you could put fan boats easily in a, a floor cry. As you, mm-hmm. God, that's going to just be the name for it now. Um, anyway, it is also interesting. We are getting, just because we were going back to talking a little bit about, like, do people feel like they're connected to this world and this universe? We are getting a, ne- a Netflix anime for Far Cry, as well as a Blood Dragon, like, six-episode anime. Uh, these Totally forgot there. about that. I think a few also they back? they made a they made a Blood Dragon Trials game too. Oh right, which yeah. We always forget about. It. <laughs> it's it's such a strange franchise in terms of as as you were saying, Brian. Like it feels like it can be all over the place, and that's perhaps why it does go under the radar. But when it's really right. fun, it is really really fun and engaging, and and is sort of the prototypical thing we think about for a lot of these Ubisoft open world ideas. So I'm I'm excited for six, like especially. If we see some other open world games like Horizon Forbidden West perhaps not come out in 2021, I feel like I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, hanging out with Giancarlo and, and just seeing what that world's up to. But I'm glad you've both been sort of in revisiting the franchise, still finding the stuff that you love about it so much and, and it bringing back those memories because I'm, I'm really looking forward to six. For yeah, sure. thanks for giving us a place to yell about it. Of course. Uh, what What is the show if not a place to yell about things? Uh, <laughs> and any other games briefly that either of you have been playing that you want to touch on? I jump back into Hitman and I love that nice. game so much. I love it. Um, there was there was one mission that I just I hadn't done. Like I basically I played through three, fell in love, bought the other two games, went through, played all of them. And I think it's the last maybe the last mission in two or one. I don't know. It's but it's a resort. It's on an island. There you go. Oh, and it's go. it's it's interesting because for whatever reason, it, the way it starts you out, it's like kind of um, I like I, I had a really hard time with it. And I think it like starts you off with like less access to weapons or crap or something. And I, I was like bashing my head against one particular route. And I just eventually 
didn't, I didn't rage quit. I was just like, man. And then like walked away, didn't touch it for a while. And I just, I jumped back into it and I was like, I don't think, I don't, there's a whole part of this I didn't check out. And I went like creeping around in some bushes and then just messed up this server farm and then poisoned a bunch of people with like vomit gas. And just, I had a, I, God, I love that game. And I just, I'm so excited for whatever they do with James Bond. I really hope it's like just even slightly on par with Hitman because this, this series is just, oh God, it's so good. Um, I also, I, I've been occasionally jumping in to do the elusive targets, which are like the, you know, limited time, you only get one shot. It's now or never mom spaghetti on your sweater or whatever kind of just, you got it. You got to do it. Like get the, get this one person, you screw up, it's gone forever. And the most recent one was a pair of twins, but you could only kill one of them. And if you hurt the other one, you were in big trouble. And I was like, oh boy, I got to find this needle in a haystack. I got to track these guys down. They're creeping around this, you know, pastoral Italian beach town. I'm going to, I'm going to track it. And I would like go around the first corner and they're just like standing there taking a sightseeing tour or something. And I was like, oh, well that was easy. And then I like, like a weird pervert just like crept around by their by their bottoms and was like looking at their wrist because one of them has a gold wristwatch and the other doesn't i was like i gotta find the guy with the watch and i'm like <laughs> they didn't they didn't care like they were completely unfazed and i was so used to like i don't know killing high profile targets who are just like if you go anywhere near them they're like 18 guards are like get them but these guys were just walking around and i'm just like i basically just walked up right next to them and then it's like shot one of the guards and tried to shoot him missed the other guard starts shooting at me I just shoot the guy in the head and just take off running and then get in like one of those little Mr. Bean cars and then drive off. And it was like, I, you did the mission in like three and a half minutes. You get no stars. You're an idiot. And I was like, well, I can't do that Low again. Key, one of the funniest video game franchises. I don't think I really realized that until the it's new one. So came funny, out. but yeah. it is so like, I think you can play this game perfectly and meticulously and just be a hitman right but also there's like there and even before you get in like the clown costumes and dressing like a, a complete buffoon like there is so much stuff that you can do in this game like, like that that just makes that just makes me laugh so hard every now and then i get so incredibly excited you just mentioned it that the, this team is working on a james bond game like that is so awesome i keep forgetting that's happening between that and like Bethesda making an Indiana Jones game, it's it's kind of like okay, mm -hmm. th th that's two big projects to be really excited about. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of you go ahead, Max. I was going to say like I I hope that they keep the sort of sleek and very stylish design of the newer Bond movies, but have some of the sensibilities of like the the older Roger Moore ones. Because if you wind up with like completely just completely wingnut nonsense gadgets, like what you do, you get exploding rubber ducks and stuff like that in this game. But if but at the same time, it looks all just like hyper stylized and just like, oh, yeah, like this is a cool this is a cool guy who has sex. But also he's got a jetpack in his briefcase. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. It was just like it, it, talking to the idea of like you can play these games, the Hitman game super meticulously and be the best Hitman in the world. And you can also do it like an utter buffoon and still win like piling bodies in a bathroom like that. <laughs> uh, like there's so much variety there. And I think that does speak to Bond across the ages of like you can get this more serious side of it and also the wackier side where it's as you're saying, like jetpacks and jet skis and the moon and, and, and like you can just go to such crazy heights. I feel like they can find that balance really well and like i think back to older bond games i actually like never played goldeneye growing up but nightfire was a really big touch point for me right and, and like i think about how those were very you know like first person shooter cinematic campaign games and like yes there's a place for those with bond but i really want them to lean in the direction of a hitman game like i want them to do what they do well and i feel like that's the reason you go to them for a bond game right i mean what one of the first things that happens in goldeneye the movie which was recreated in the game is that james bond pops into out of a vent and kills a guy in a toilet like that's funny 
if you don't think that's funny, I like, I don't know what to tell you. Like that's killing a guy in a toilet in a suit, full suit is funny. And like, they put that in the game. And I just, I feel like there's like this, you know, there, there's a comedy element to James Bond. That's always been there. Um, and just like it's there for Hitman, it is such a perfect marriage of IP and developer. But yeah, I can't wait to see what they're doing with this. My whole thing is if, if you made, if you had agent 47, like literally just say, the names of the achievements or the challenges out loud after doing them, you've got a James Bond game. Yeah. Because he's yeah. like, you know, there's one where it's like, if you, if you take a, or, I don't know, it's like if you poison a, a hot, like a hot sauce shot or something, or you just take a, a, saw, a shot of hot sauce. It's like, it's like 47 on the Scoville scale or something. It's like, which is just so, <laughs> it's so, it's so corny. And I love it's it. It's got that know? Peter Parker thing, right? Where he's got like the goofy one-liners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, such a yeah. good balance. I, I need to go back to that one. That's just one of those things where it's like you can get lost in a level, especially if you're bad at it. Like you can get lost and just be in a level for hours, which is really right. fun. Yeah. But it's like a thing you you I kind of feel like you need to give a lot of time. It's also it's super duper forgiving with um with saves coming. I mean, yeah. which is totally cheap as hell. But basically, if you save before you try something completely stupid and you actually pull it off, you'll get the achievement or whatever, you get the challenges. And then if you reload it, I think it basically like you can basically I think you can kill a dude like four times over and on the same save sort of it's i don't know it's a whole weird thing but like it's the thing that really worked for me is basically leaning into my failures and being like not trying to play it super super well and stealthy but was kind of like okay i'm gonna go in here like kind of a klutz i'm gonna be more of like a mr b and then a mr bond you know let's (laughs) let's do this properly unless you do both of those and yeah it's it's such a great example of what they're able to accomplish I, i can't wait to see what they do next with bond but yeah it's I, I keep forgetting Hitman was like a game that came out this year and is one of my favorites. Right. But yeah, it's a really great time. I need to go revisit that this summer. But uh, anything else you guys have been playing before we wrap up that you want to give a shout to? Nothing off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. Wolf, Wolfenstein. Well, Our audience won't care, but I'm ready to give Skyward Sword <laughs> another chance this weekend. I am too. I keep forgetting that's this weekend. I definitely am excited to do that as well. Uh, I have just been continuing. I've I've not been great at sticking to anything, so I've just been playing some embargoed stuff I can't talk about, nothing huge, but just some fun stuff we can talk about in later weeks, and then just continuing my Fortnite and personaing. Just really yeah. not been able to like stick into anything too much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll we'll have plenty to talk about as more games release as we get into the fall. Uh, August, as we mentioned, we'll have Ghost of Tsushima and uh, Kana Bridge of Spirits, so it's actually going to be a bit of a busy month for PlayStation before the fall rush hits. Uh, but that's going to pretty much wrap us up for this week's episode of Podcast Beyond. Uh, Brian and Max, anything you want to plug this week? Uh, uh, God, it's been busy. Um, I helped Relic and Sega announce Company Heroes 3 yesterday. We did a whole presentation for that. That was fun. I interviewed Suda51 yesterday. That's going to go up soon. And then there was, and then I did a, I did a big piece on uh, Metroid that we're publishing, I believe, tomorrow. So... Keep an eye out for that. Um, it's tomorrow too. Yeah, <laughs> I've been doing the weekly uh, cannon fodder series, which um, uh, Jesse Gill writes and produced, and I then he has me go in and I add a bunch of dumb jokes, and we have a ton of fun with that show. And it's just uh, like we've been doing it for every episode of Loki. We did one for Black Widow. I don't know what happens next, but we'll be doing one for that as well. Um, and if you've been, I don't know if you've been keeping track of these shows and just want the sort of um, the sort of dorky color commentary and all the weird background details that is the show to go watch yeah i've i've been really enjoying them especially as like a a very tightly produced like here's the 
recap if you need it and here is the the easter egg and supplementary stuff you guys have been doing yeah and if you if you don't watch those shows and you want to pretend that you do that's also a great loophole because we spoil everything and then we do it real fast and then you can act smart with your friends even without spending 30 dollars on disney premiere plus platinum sapphire access or whatever it's called that's the full name. Yeah, no, you got it in one. Uh, yeah, I, I really love them, especially as I have definitely checked into some other uh, Easter egg videos that are like an hour long. And I'm like, why am I here for an hour? I just want to know who that background thing was. And, and you guys get to it very well. It's very funny. Uh, they're really great. So definitely go check those out. Uh, but why yeah, do, you I dis- do I have to diss my hour long Easter egg videos like that, man? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know how you find the time to do that on the side, to be honest, but you you keep doing what you do. If you guys want to see I, a great hour long Easter egg video. My mom hit all sorts of plastic eggs and Cadbury delights in the backyard. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do a real time Easter egg hunt. I'm going to see if I can find them all. And then I'm going to come inside and eat them out of my pastel basket. I, I did that with I my kid that. on Easter this year, but I only bought 12 <laughs> eggs. So I just kept following behind her, taking her out of the basket. <laughs> hiding her again. It was, <laughs> I was like, oh, is this is it? These are how the devs. <laughs> extend the gameplay <laughs> that's it's like a yeah you're roguelike assets. easter egg <laughs> <laughs> a, a producer would love you because you were being very cost conscious that is a yeah it was like, it was yeah. like a like a really grindy mobile game <laughs> <laughs> uh well if any developers want to reach out to brian for uh, help on producing uh, asset use in their fo- follow-up games you know who to contact uh mm-hmm. but also i do want to just put out director's a general <laughs> you're on your director's cut yeah bring in brian uh i do want to just briefly mention i had mentioned on twitter just in the sort of fallout and kerfuffle of all the like playstation indies discussion and whatnot and i do know some some developers do listen to the show uh if you have a game coming out in the future on playstation that you want to talk about uh to a playstation audience and people who love talking about games uh feel free to write in to beyond at ign.com i'd love to talk to some more indie developers on the show have them on talk about the games that they're making uh why they're so cool because there are so many different varied awesome indie games coming out uh and would love to be able to put the spotlight That's, where we that can. sounds preferable to spending 45 minutes talking about whether or not kojima likes the word director's cuts or whatever <laughs> hey it was only 30 ish minutes <laughs> anyway thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode of podcast beyond normally we publish every wednesday at 3 p.m pacific at beyond.ign.com youtube.com slash IGN beyond and your favorite podcast services around the world. Unless of course, Sony surprises us with a Thursday state of play as they seem mm-hmm. to like to do. And we uh, will be know. publishing a three hour version of this episode in September. We're adding race cars and ramps. Um, so keep an eye out for that. You can also look forward to my Easter egg breakdown of the show, including <laughs> all of the games that all three of us leaked throughout this episode that you'll find out about in the future. But uh, otherwise you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at JM Dornbush. Brian is at agent Bizzle and Max is at Max Scoville. Thank you both so much for joining me for this episode. Thank you as always to red our producer for making the show happen. And thank you everyone out there listening and watching. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always beyond beyond. Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of the Go Kid Go Network. Do your kids love wacky worlds, superheroes, and inventing? Of course they do. That's why our shows Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow are set in Pflugerville, the nonstop fun and adventure universe where imagination, creativity, STEM, and positive role models abound. Join the Pflugerville fun by searching for Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.